Welcome everybody to All About Windows Phone Inside Podcast number 111. It's the half, Nel- half Nelson, as they call it in cricket, Rafe. Yes, that's absolutely right. All the ones as well. Yep, yep. So we've got quite a bit to talk about and maybe a discussion topic if we get time. Um, I just wanted to start with a rant, Rafe. And uh, excuse Excellent. me, this is becoming a regular feature. But th- today's rant is that we've got devices like the Lumia 1520, you've got the 1020, you've got the 930. They all take photographs photographs in glorious oversampled 5 megapixel resolution, which is great. That's how the, the PureView system was designed in the Windows Phone. But you cannot do anything whatsoever with that. If you try and email it off, um, the email system downsamples it. Um, if you rely on the, the backup to OneDrive that is automatic in Windows Phone, it actually backs up the entire 20 megapixel or, or 38 megapixel image in 1020's case with no oversampling at all. It seems to me that you have to absolutely jump through hoops to actually use the oversampled image. It spent all that time compiling by manually uploading it to OneDrive in the OneDrive application separate from the camera app and then later on downloading it from there to do something else with it. It, it just seems like Nokia have got themselves in a bit of a twist in terms of uh, um, image handling here, Rafe. Yeah, I think it's a fair cop here. I mean, we had the situation before where it wasn't uploading the kind of the full images and kind of been a bit of a switch over. Now, I guess it's because all of these upload systems are based around the assumption you'll just have one image. That's really going to go away. We're actually going to get into a situation, particularly when you have rich capture coming with Lumia Denim, that there will be potentially multiple image files associated with each snapshot. And I'd like to think there's a cleverer way, of, a better way of doing the integration. <laughs> and honestly, if I'm uploading it to OneDrive, kind of a Microsoft property, automatically i rather expect to be able to do some of the editing that i, I might do on the phone on a, a tablet or on a pc through the browser i don't see why that's that's so difficult so i agree absolutely with you here and the email is the one that really annoys me because i think for a lot of people that's the default way that they do private sharing yes of course you can do it through OneDrive, and yes there are various other options around but to be honest nothing beats the simplicity of saying right i want to email that image off and uh, on windows it always used to be the case that you know, there was this offer to downsample but you could attach it at full resolution as well and i appreciate with email this is a somewhat tricky situation because there are a lot of email servers that will say no i won't accept an attachment over 10 megabytes and in some cases the full resolution images you know, can, can be bigger than that but certainly i, I would have thought there would be a, a happy mod, middle ground and the you know the three three five megapixel images tend to come out around three four megabytes at most and so it does seem to me that this is an area which the various imaging teams or the platform teams could turn their attention to just so it's uh, as smooth and as well thought out as imaging is elsewhere on the platform yeah, indeed. So anyway, that's my rant over for the day. So I can take I'm sure we'll have another one later. <laughs> uh, we've got a couple of new devices to talk about, along with some branding um, issues. First of all, let's just cover the Alcatel Pop 2. Brand, well, kind of quoted as the first 64-bit Windows phone. Um, not, is, it, is that actually true, Rafe? It's a, it's a, a specs otherwise are pretty standard. Snapdragon, well, it's the Snapdragon 410. I guess that, that makes the difference. It, it does. And there's no way of being absolutely sure about this because, of course, you know, this is a kind of a specs question. But it looks like Alcatel have basically taken an Android phone and, as with many of the other manufacturers, turned it into a Windows phone device. It's pretty logical to assume that Windows phone will at some point start supporting uh, 64-bit and may have done the integration work for the uh, Snapdragon 410. I suspect, though, it's in some kind of compatibility mode. It's actually still a, a 32-bit operating system. 
We're not entirely yeah. sure because, of course, it is dependent on the NT core uh, Windows Phone, uh, you know, the common core that it shares with the, the PC. And that's certainly capable of supporting 64-bit chips. So it's entirely possible, but I wouldn't get terribly excited about this. I don't really think it's going to mean very much to consumers or performance at this point in time. Yeah, it maybe has a slightly upgraded uh, graphics process as well. But in all honesty, this is kind of a, a relatively low-end device. It, it, it's more interesting, I suppose, because it's another... Uh, probably quite well-known brand um alcatel originally a french company but really it's a, a chinese company tcl now that's producing these devices and you know it, it's the on-screen uh buttons rather than kind of dedicated keys but you know it, it, it's another interesting addition and alcatel you know sells quite well in some markets uh, eastern europe russia in particular and so I guess it's as with all of these devices, which we haven't really seen very much of in the shops here in the UK. Yeah, it, it's good to see. And as for Snapdragon 410, it's kind of a logical extension, just as kind of the HTC M8 for Windows introduced the Snapdragon 801. And at some point, I'm sure there'll be a Snapdragon 810 processor on a Windows phone device. I, I think Microsoft has kind of moved to a model of supporting more uh, processors, CPU configurations more quickly than it had done before. You know, if you think previously in the previous generation of hardware, it was kind of the Snapdragon S4 and a couple of variants of that, but not very wide. And, and now it's actually supporting a, a greater range uh, of, you know, SOCs or system on a chip as to give them that kind of full name. So yeah, interesting yeah. from a kind of technical point of view, but not really one for consumers to pay all that much attention to at this point in time. Yeah, uh, the other phone we wanted to talk about, possibly in more depth, depth because of there are implications in terms of branding, uh, and this is not actually official yet, Rafen, that they haven't had a pro- an official launch or press release, but all the information, including all the marketing, all the specs, all the graphics, all the text, is all up on the manufacturer's website, so I guess that's fair game. <laughs> this is um, Go, or the brand Go, uh, in the UK, UK um, aka Ergo Electronics, I think is the, the holding company, and the phone is the go phone gf 47w the 47 refers to a 4.7 inch um wvga screen i believe um and the interesting thing apart from the fact that it's just a, a bog standard reference design knockoff is the fact that it's quite well styled quite thin quite stylish and it's just called windows not windows phone although if you dig down into the specs there is mention of windows phone but it's, it's more often here called windows than the other and if you look at the back of the, the phone which we haven't actually got in our story but apparently it does just say windows with no windows phone at all yeah it's an interesting one this i think uh kind of the prevalence of windows rather than windows phone in the branding may be down to the company because basically their speciality has been that kind of tablets and notebooks i mean they're coming at it from desktop windows where some of the other manufacturers we've seen do these kind of devices uh, uh, are more from the android world you know truly from the smartphone world but this uh, go phone gf 47w it's a bit of a, a mouthful in naming terms is interesting because it i think precisely something that might happen we've had a couple of leaks and rumors about this that uh, microsoft may de-emphasize the phone in the windows phone branding I, I suspect it's going to remain windows phone for a while but what we'll see a lot more is just windows used as the kind of the generic name and that's what will be associated with it and yeah. by implication yeah. it is a, a windows phone device I mean, this has also been tied up of course for Microsoft and, you know, what's going to happen to the, the Nokia name. And we've known for a while now that there was going to be a transition period 
and it looks increasingly likely that it's you know they're going to switch to just using the Lumia brand and whether that means Lumia will replace Nokia as kind of the name that and the branding that appears on the devices uh, remains to be seen but this is actually quite interesting as a device this GoPro device because it's uh, I think it's fair to say it's mid to or slightly higher end than we've typically seen from some of the other devices uh, you mentioned the kind of the 720p screen you know it's 3G Wi-Fi it's still dual sim um, it's obviously a Snapdragon 400 and uh, it's got both a front and a rear facing camera so there's just an element of it it being a little bit extra and as you say it's being held up as something that's uh, very thin and beautiful i think it's 7.2 millimeters thin and um, 95 grams in weight although it's a bit contradictory because there's another thing that says it's 130 grams in weight so um, as you say it kind of hasn't really been uh, officially announced but also of interest to us because actually um, GoPhone or Ergo Electronics is a UK-based company. Um, with all of these uh, companies that are producing Windows Phone devices off the Qualcomm reference platform, very often they'll have a, a base or a headquarters in a European or even in the American country. Uh, but the manufacturer is generally still being outsourced to China. So most of the you know, the manufacturing, the actual building of the devices will will take place elsewhere. And quite often these companies are, are partnering with a Chinese company in order to get a phone into the market. That's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it, it's not really that much different to what the, the big players do in that you know, they have all their manufacturing out in Asia, very often China, also some in India, also places like you know, the Philippines, uh, Nokia, or now Microsoft has various factories uh, around the world. So I can't get too sniffy about it. And uh, as you say, interesting, this one just just caught my attention a little more than some of the other kind of generic Windows phone devices we've seen announced from, yeah. quite frankly, what you'd have to describe as third-tier smartphone manufacturers. Yeah, in, interestingly, I, I misspoke earlier. The W in the name, I, I said it was WVGA, obviously isn't. But in my defense, if you look at the specs actually listed on these 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 pages that are official on the manufacturer website, in one place it says it's 720p, another place it says it's 800p, I 12... I, 80 by 800 pixels. So clearly there are some specifications to be clarified before they go live with this thing. But it does, it does look promising. The, the thinness aspect, Rafe, is, is actually quite topical because I did an entire editorial based on our devices getting too thin. Isn't this getting rather silly? Shouldn't we be having something that's more comfortable in the hand, less droppable, more durable and with bigger batteries? And I, I guess I should ask you where you stand on that whole debate. You're not going to get any argument from me. I mean, I walk around with Lumia devices on a regular basis, which are notable, I think, for being a bit thicker <laughs> than is typical in the high-end smartphones i mean this has been brought on and i'm sure your editor was partly prompted by the iphone where kind of a big deal was made of the thinness but apple are by no means the worst offenders here you look at companies like huawei which are producing very thin devices and quite a lot of the time it's used as a, a point of differentiation and frankly i'm with you i'd rather have a thicker device and thereby have Know, a bigger battery capacity or maybe a slightly better camera because it's you know, that extra width can be used to put in a bigger camera module but it, it doesn't seem to be what consumers want i think people listening to this podcast are going to agree with us completely that they'd be willing to sacrifice a bit of thinness in order to have that extra battery capacity but sadly it is the the thinness that still sells and so as much as i agree with your rant and i, I knew would get you ranting again on the podcast uh, i think it's one of those <laughs> consumers don't know what's good for them. 
Yeah, yeah. By the way, if my quality is suffering, gentle listeners, it's because they we're recording this quite late in the day on a Tuesday and the bandwidth in the UK is just going down through the floor. But uh, we desperately wanted to get a, get a podcast out to you guys because we're going to be rather busy for the rest of the week. So do bear with us. And one comment on the whole Windows branding thing, Rafe, I was I'm actually becoming more and more impressed pressed by microsoft's forward thinking here i was trying out um the latest windows 8 laptops in in uh, staples earlier on and i thought well, this is coming on you know with the latest updates and latest patches and tweaks to the interface it's i still find it a bit of a confusing mess but you can see where they're going and and in terms of as a windows phone user there are now an awful lot of recognizable t- titles in windows 8 and you you click on them and you even get the same splash screen graphic you you even get the same, you know, resuming and uh, loading dots flying across the top of the screen. It, you get into the point, and I'm, I, you've used the Windows um, 8 RT tablets as well, where you, in, a, I say, a year or so's time, they will justifiably be able to say, okay, you can have Windows on your phone, tablet on PC. It's called the same. It'll look the same. Behind the scenes, there, there are slight underlying differences and implementations and applications and resolutions. But for the general user, they just won't have to think about this. These things will just be consistent across all three, all three form factors. Uh, I think that's right, and honestly, I think Microsoft is you know, leading the race to this. All the uh, ecosystems, you know, Apple and Google, are looking to do the same thing, and they are approaching it in different ways. I think Apple is going to take a big step forward with continuity that's coming with iOS eight and the OS X updates as well. Um, Google, are, if anything, is the most poorly positioned here. It is kind of looking to align Chrome and Android, but you know, Chrome OS doesn't really have the same uh, market share impact. You know, the Chromebooks are nice devices, but they're, they're fundamentally limited in some ways. So if Microsoft can pull this off, you know, they could give themselves a quite significant bit of impetus. And does that translate into to more Windows phone sales? Uh, potentially, it, it, it is a smooth experience. It's already pretty good. I mean, Steve talked about some of the icons looking the same. I've talked before on the podcast about how things like uh, Bing News or MSN News or News or whatever we're meant to call it now actually will share the kind of the settings in the background, which means I get the same headlines that I've configured. You know, my preferences are carried across devices and will appear automatically when I use my Microsoft account to log into a new device, which is something I really appreciate. And if anything, it becomes more attractive when it happens across a portfolio of devices. I mean, traditionally that thing's been good when you're bought a new smartphone and you're restoring a backup and it kind of all comes back to life but it gets even more interesting when it goes across devices and you see that a lot of people will have that already when they're using chrome on both the desktop and on a smartphone be that on iphone or android and also the same place actually to internet explorer that you get to share tabs across devices and that kind of cross device thinking i'm sure we'll see more of it i think you're quite right that microsoft are well positioned there and there's windows 9 on the horizon kind of codename threshold it looks like there's going to be an announcement event for windows 9 on the september the 30th of this year so it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that, whether there's some uh, Windows Phone specific stuff. I think the general trend will be, Steve's absolutely right, you know, moving closer together in this idea that you just have one single experience. From a technical point of view, there is still going to be this division. And we already see that in kind of the universal apps where, in essence, you might have some of the business logic of apps being able to be shared, but you're really having to optimize the UI for each platform. I honestly don't see that changing because the screen size is sufficiently different that you probably are going to want to do different app layout. But the idea that you will be able to produce a Windows phone app, a Windows tablet, and maybe a Windows PEC app 
with the effort that isn't equal to you know, having to develop three separate apps becomes really interesting from a business point of view. And you compare that to something like, you know, having to do OS X and iOS, you know, will the effort be similar? It, it, there's a long debate to be had there, but um, I think it's more important that, it, that they get that right. And because Microsoft is obviously still very dominant on the desktop, that potentially gives them some leverage into the mobile space. And a lot of people listening to this will go, I'm not going to choose my smartphone based on what my desktop PC is. You know, there are plenty of people who use Android and have a Mac system and vice versa. Um, uh, but I think for a lot of consumers, if you're talking about the general public, that sense of familiarity is going to be a help to Windows and Windows Phone. It won't be a, a hindrance. And so I'm not talking about dramatic change and you know, kind of a, a scale shift. But it does seem to me that it will be to Microsoft's advantage and the kind of cry of Windows everywhere and one experience everywhere, which hasn't really been borne out and hasn't had much of an impact yet, might have more of an impact as we move towards uh, Windows 9 and Windows Phone 9, if indeed that's what they're called. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, we did have a discussion at a point which we held over now from three or four podcasts. I want to just come to it as we just got time in this short podcast. But uh, I wrote a, an article um, which I posted on All About Symbian and All About Windows Phone called Tough Questions, basically trying to answer in my own words some of the questions that people have been asking from the Symbian and from the Windows Phone world over the last uh, two or three years. Uh, I, don't, I want to tackle these sort of out of order, Rafe, because I suspect that this, this, this being the all about Windows Phone Inside <laughs> podcast, we ought to just concentrate perhaps on that side of things and come at the topic from that rather than sure. go into the depths of Symbian Amigo on this particular podcast. But uh, yeah, the, the first question I want to hit you with, Rafe, is would Microsoft have made such good progress with Windows Phone as an operating system without Nokia's input? And I have to say my answer in, in the article was basically was no. Microsoft is large and slow. It's always been this way. Witnessed witness the slow growth and stagnation of Windows Mobile pre-2007. I gave as my example. I think Nokia's uh, hardware and software engineers had lots of input into, into Microsoft and uh, chivied them along in all sorts of different ways, not least in terms of timescales. So if you thought Windows Phone was slow to progress over the last three years, as it was, then imagine how slow Microsoft might have been without Nokia sort of and snapping at their heels. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I would say that all big corporates tend to be a bit slower than we'd like them to be. And I don't think we should hold Nokia up as an example of speedy software development, given their history in the, the Symbian and the Mego space. <laughs> but <laughs> but the, the engineers are undoubtedly very talented um, on the Nokia side, have a huge amount of experience in the smartphone space. And I think also a more international in outlook than Microsoft was. Uh, one of the very famous bits of development early on in the Windows history for phones was in Windows Mobile, the first version didn't have a SMS counter built into the messaging app. And no one could understand why this has happened. And it was essentially because US-based people didn't care because they tended to get text messages for free or for very low cost. Whereas the Europeans, who were pretty much dominant in the smartphone market at the time, did have to pay for each text message. And so knowing how many characters you had left before you went on to a second message was important. So that international outlook, I think, was important. I think also Nokia engineers had more experience in the, the hardware. So optimizing for different chipsets and kind of that relationship with Qualcomm and then improving battery life, something we largely saw through uh, Nokia device firmware updates rather than anything else. And that experience, I'm sure, was passed back into the operating system but you can also look at some very specific areas like imaging and you hold up things like the 1020 and some of the things that were being done there and if you look at the current 
default Windows Phone camera app, it clearly owes quite a lot of legacy to what Nokia did with the Nokia camera app. And that's going to become more true now that those Nokia assets kind of get integrated into Microsoft. But uh, I mean, you could talk about imaging more generally in terms of the pipeline and things like that. But there are plenty of other areas. And I think the biggest one I would pick out is uh, here maps and GPS navigation. Obviously, in some ways, that's still part of, of Nokia, although as I understand it, the actual Windows phone development is now being done done by Microsoft kind of with uh, able assistance from the here teams, which is still part of Nokia. It's easy to forget about something like that, that uh, you get a free sat-nav offline mapping with every Windows phone device now. It's not something you get on any of the other platforms. And it does give them you know, a, a significant piece of differentiation. It's sometimes underplayed, uh, but you know, that was a significant thing that came in from Nokia. And the whole idea and the kind of the impetus from that was very much a, a Nokia story. On the other hand, I, I don't think we should uh, be too negative about Microsoft because a lot of the plans existed before Nokia even came along. And so, for example, most of Windows 8 had been planned and mapped out before kind of Nokia started releasing its devices. Now, of course, it then took time. It's one of the reasons we didn't really see some of Nokia's important impact until Windows Phone 8.1. And I think it is very obviously felt there. But again, it probably was on the Microsoft roadmaps. I think you're right to say, though, that they did chivy them along. And that's because suddenly Microsoft could justify putting more money and resources in because they had a major hardware partner who was actually going to sell a significant number of devices. And so from a business point of view, it was easier to justify trying to speed up development or at least put more resources towards it. So if you if you put it that way, and, and certainly that's borne out in the evidence of Nokia Lumia device sales, I think probably the biggest impact on the platform development was that knowledge of creating a large volume of sales just meant that Microsoft was able to really push down um, on development and that wouldn't have happened without Nokia. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, a second question for you. It has This is kind of a provocative question, but I have to ask these questions because people are saying it to me. They say, Surely Windows Phone has been a sales disaster all round. And my answer was, well, not really. I, I was saying it's a new operating system. It's at least two years newer than Android. And I, I still argue that the peak of Windows Phone is yet to come. Um, we've selling about 10 million a quarter across the world at the moment with Windows Phone, but with just eight, Windows Phone 8.1 is just arriving. And we've got Microsoft has now got the Nokia devices division on board. We've got all these new OEMs, all the signs are pointing, I, I, I would argue, to it, say 15 million in quarter three and maybe 15 or two, even 20 million in quarter four. I, I, maybe that's, am I being too optimistic? It, it, it's difficult to know. I think the competitive landscape has got worse for Windows Phone this year um, because of the emergence of low-cost Android has really had an impact. And I think Android 1 may start to bite uh, in the latter part of the year, particularly in kind of markets like India. And China's kind of dwindled to very little for in terms of Windows phone sales. So you may be being a little bit too optimistic there. That said, you know, devices like the 530, which reduce the price point of Windows phone even further, and the emergence of a lot of these little brands that, that may only sell, you know, 50,000, 100,000 devices each, but that could well end up add up to you know another couple of million which together with the lumia devices i i can see 15 million happening i think 20 million might be a, a little bit of a stretch but these numbers are actually more difficult to predict than you you might at first think and uh you know people do talk about windows yeah. phone having been a sales to us. i think that's rather strong language to apply to this and 
in the article, you talk about how it took a while for iOS and Android to become established. Uh, that's absolutely right. You know, it's still relatively early days of Windows Phone. That does come across sounding like a bit of an apologist, and I honestly think they should have done better. But of course, you also have to consider the market context has changed. In one sense, they should have been selling more devices because more of the mobile phones sold are smartphones. And so, you know, in the early days, iOS and Android arguably had a smaller addressable market than Windows Phone now has. But of course, there's actually the presence of iOS and Android. And if you, you sort of ignore that and don't take that into account, you're obviously missing a, a, a big point. So the competitive landscape, you know, the devices that Windows Phone has to sell against, much tougher environment than, say, the first iPhone had and certainly than Android had. And so it's coming from behind. So I think progress will be slow. What's interesting is there's still quite a lot of momentum. When you talk to operators, they're interested in ranging the devices. And it's notable that something like the HTC One M8 got picked up by most of the big carriers in the US. We're also seeing the 830 and to a certain extent the 930 as well being picked up by a lot of carriers around the world. It's not universal by any means, but there's been this persistent and sustained support for from operators for for Windows Phone. You know, they're running a business now. Partly it's politics; they don't want the kind of iOS Android duopoly, but partly it's also there does seem to be genuine consumer demand. If we look at our home market in the UK, actually one in 10 of smartphones sold are now running Windows Phone, and that number is sort of edging up, and actually I expect it to increase with some of these uh, newer entrants to the market, and particularly as the uh, 530 gets the price even lower, and it feels like there's a stronger mid-tier with the 730 and the 830 now. So say that increases sort of up to 15% by the you know second quarter of next year or maybe the first quarter that suddenly starts to look really like quite a healthy level and actually you know in some markets that's going to be well on the way to overtaking the iPhone there's a few markets where it's already done it but they tend to be pretty small so I, I think the difficulty is that's not replicated in other markets you know it feels like Microsoft and Windows Phone have only cracked a few markets so far, the UK, Italy, maybe France, and some of the other European markets aren't quite so healthy. So they need to replicate that elsewhere. And kind of the big one, of course, is the US, where they're still really around the 3 or 4% mark, and China, where it's even lower. So uh, is it too early to kind of make sweeping judgments? Yes, I honestly think it is. We, we feel, I feel like I've been saying that for years, but it, it, there does tend <laughs> to be a bit of... Know, a polarized opinion here either it's doing really badly it's going to fail or people tend to be you know people who like windows phone tend to be very optimistic as always it's sort of shades of grace there's a middle ground here i think those who are writing off uh, windows phone altogether saying the sales have been disastrous are, are sounding increasingly shrill now I, I think the thing is though it's probably too easy to be optimistic about quite how well it's going to do it i think for me the thing is Windows Phone isn't going anywhere. And I think you could have made an argument a couple of years ago that it did look a bit ropey with sort of Nokia on the ropes and, you know, questions about what was going to happen to them. Because if Nokia had gone bust and Microsoft hadn't bought them, it would have been disastrous for Windows Phone. Uh, Microsoft still has a lot of work to do and make no mistake, it still could go horribly wrong. But there's enough momentum around mid-tier sort of reactions against Android. And we're talking earlier about that kind of cross-device play that uh, that Microsoft feels like it's in a much stronger position than it was a couple of years ago. And Windows Phone as a platform is a lot more mature. We've kind of made the point quite a few times now that Windows Phone 8.1 feels like it's getting close to being 
good enough and sort of parity is a maybe a, a strong way to put it but honestly for me it is i think you can look at some aspects that are, are changing you know cloud connectivity or accessories where perhaps it's still some work to do but overall the, the kind of the health card is is much better i mean i don't know what you think steve in terms of the positioning and where it's got to now it feels like it's in in a place to kind of have the growth be sustained and actually maybe increase a little bit, especially if they can get into some other markets. Yeah, absolutely. It's very noticeable that attitudes are changing as well. Even even in America, I was I did a link on the front page of AAWP this morning um, through to a section of the Twit podcast, which is the most listened to tech podcast in the entire world by some margin because it's one of the very first and it's also American centric. Leo Laporte, etc. They had uh, Andy Anarco on and uh, somebody else uh, I forget his name, Lee, somebody or other from Ars Technica, and both of them were recommending uh, um, when. Windows phones, even though the host, which I think was um, Leo was away and they had Mike Elgin in, and he was saying, oh, well, the top five phones in the world, and he reeled off iPhones and Android, and, they, and both of the, their contributors said, oh, no, we, we, we would like to argue with that. We think that the Lumia 930, a stroke icon, and the Lumia 1020 should be on that list, and I, I was quite taken aback, which I thought it was worth certainly uh, embedding the video or embedding the audio, and uh, if, if people like that, if, uh, if the American media start becoming on Windows Phone site, then it might actually have a chance over there in the land of the free. Uh, indeed, and it's, it's notable when I'm at conferences and events, I actually see a surprising number of Windows Phone devices get out of proportion to their their market share. Now, partly that's because people are given review devices, but a lot of people choose to carry them because it's decent battery life. They're you know good in imaging terms uh, and maybe various other reasons as well. I suppose the the simple way to put it this is. It used to be that people would basically point and laugh at you for carrying a Windows phone device and didn't quite ever get to that point in the high street. But there were always a few raised eyebrows. Now people go, okay, that's interesting. You've chosen to be do something a bit different. And certainly carrying around the Lumia 930 recently, I've had a lot of people ask me what it is, what it's like, what Windows Phone 8.1 is like, and being much more interested. It's interesting. It's just been a few things. It's kind of the design. As always, it's the colors that stand out, but also things like the pull down notifications, which they go, oh yeah, that was, that was really bad before. I really need that on my device. It's kind of, I guess, what they're familiar with, but also that narrowing of the app gap it, it it's still there but a lot of the major apps are now in place and so it does feel like it's being taken a little bit more more seriously it'll be interesting to see if that really is reflected in the numbers i mean one of the things since uh, microsoft has taken over nokia we're not going to get the regular release i don't think of shipment numbers in quite the same way and will be uh, reliant on kind of guesses or estimates from the likes of gartner idc and canalis um but uh, it, certainly the evidence is somewhat encouraging and as you say if the media attitude shifts you know that perception of windows phone as being the kind of also run may change to it being kind of the plucky upstart exactly but perhaps you know the the third option that people seriously consider if they don't want to buy an android device um i I think at the high end ios and the iphone is going to remain dominant actually i think it'll probably win ground against android in the near term but it's going to be a continuing battle and uh as, as has been the case in the last 12 months, I think Windows Phone as a low-end or mid-tier choice is actually easily justifiable and arguably pr- provides the best device for your money. Yeah, yeah. I should point out that when Rafe, just for students of the English language, that when Rafe said Windows Phone isn't going anywhere, he didn't mean it in the other sense of the phrase. <laughs> and it's not going away, rather than it's not going anywhere at all. Ah, oh, the English language, it just uh, drives excellent. me mad, Rafe. <laughs> 
<laughs> one, one more question I'll hit you with. This is, this is the most controversial one, I guess, the most talked about um, question on the list. Do go and read the article, Tough Questions, on both sites. And it's had, it's, it's had sort of hundreds of comments on, either, on both the sites, unsurprisingly, lots of people chipping in. But was Stephen Elop a Trojan horse from Microsoft? Now, I'll just quote, my, I'll quote a sentence of my answer because I think it's relevant here. I said, ah, yes, talking of Elop. In a sense, of course, he was a Trojan horse. Not explicitly, of course, but when Nokia's board hired Elop, they did know full well that he was bringing close ties to Microsoft management with him and the promise of hooking into Microsoft's fledgling new smartphone OS backed by enormous, enormous financial reserves. So clearly, I'm, I'm in a sense, pulling my language. In another sense, I'm nailing my colours to the, the mast, Rafe. But I, I know you'd like to have your say here. Yeah, and uh, I'm definitely going to have to get Steve to talk a little more in the next podcast, otherwise my voice will uh, give out. But dear listeners, you've um, been able to read all about Steve's opinion on this, so I guess it's only fair that I get to, to waffle on on this. Um, the obvious and immediate answer is no, he wasn't a Trojan horse, but I think you hit on an important point here. When he was hired, the board of directors at Nokia probably had a good idea that there was problems with their software strategy. And I suspect that formed a large part of the decision-making process as to who they were going to hire. And let's not forget that Ansi Van Yorki was around at the time and actually was one of the candidates to become the, the CEO, the leader of Nokia. And he had you know, made the case for continuing with um, a combination of Symbian and Migo. Actually, it was mainly the emphasis on Migo by that stage. Uh, but the board turned him down and instead went for an external candidate. I think that happened in the full knowledge that it was likely that Windows Phone or a partnership with Microsoft was a very real possibility. Whether it had actually been made by that point or not is, is, is difficult to say. I mean, part of me thinks actually they probably knew in their heart hearts that was what was going to happen. But speaking to some of the, the Nokia staff who were around at that time, they said that, you know, did come in and very seriously consider all the options and spent a lot of his first six months uh, listening to people, asking questions, and getting a very deep dive into the company. And it was only then that he kind of came to the conclusion that you know, Windows Phone was the, the right option. It's kind of the f famous uh, memo about jumping off the burning oil platform. So in that sense, I think it's hard to see him as a Trojan horse because that kind of implies trickery and deceit and that he was some big conspiracy theory out to get all the, you know, loyal Nokia board members and, you know, it, it, it lays a responsibility solely at his feet. And I, I think that's a very unfair characterization. At, at the same time, I can see absolutely where this kind of attitude comes from. But I think it's a disservice to anyone who expresses this opinion not to say it's a, frankly, a ridiculous notion that there was this conspiracy theory from very early on. I think if you want to draw up a blame and sort of start going, it was really bad that this happens, really you'd have to you know, talk to the Nokia board and actually the, you know, the previous leaders who, like OPK, and perhaps even going back even earlier than that, that put Nokia into the position where it had to make a decision like this. Now, those kind of software transitions are, were never going to be easy. And um, there will still be people out there who go, Migo would have been the right thing to do and the right choice. Uh, I actually think a lot of it gets away from the idea of it being purely a technical choice between platforms. I actually think there was a bigger strategy to this that we're seeing borne out now. And um, Stephen Elop always, you know, expressed this as a war of ecosystems. 
to me that feels like still a very strong argument and it's this idea it wasn't just about the technical merits of the operating system and i think migo had a really strong case to make there being based on open source some of the frankly heroic efforts of the various engineering teams particularly when you look at a device like the n9 but that wasn't ever going to be enough on its own and it's a lesson that Nokia didn't learn early enough. And if you look at what Apple did in the creation of its ecosystem, both in terms of apps and accessories, and later on expanding from that, that was kind of the model that you know was to come, was to follow. And so I think that's only going to expand. And so the idea of partnering with Microsoft, which brought a lot of complementary assets, not these things like the productivity apps of Office, but also the wider Windows world in terms of PCs, tablets, and you know, Xbox and everything else, plus all the other assets of Microsoft, particularly on the enterprise size, I think that's what you have to look at in terms of the reasoning for the decision and why, ultimately, whatever people might think, it was probably the right decision for, for Nokia to make. And Because you know, actually it comes down to you know, shareholder value and not necessarily the survival of a certain group of engineers or whatever. Uh, and it pains me to say it in some ways. Um, so that's a very long-winded answer to that. Was he a Trojan horse? And no, I don't think uh-huh. he was. Um, but at the same time, I think some people can quite justifiably feel aggrieved that there was essentially a decision made to go to Microsoft that resulted in some very, very painful changes and some lessons that hurt, you know, the company a lot and a lot of the people involved. It's you know, easy to be an armchair CEO and forget there are actually individuals who are deeply affected by something like this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, hindsight and having the, you know, being able to waffle on about it is, is wonderful, but actually making those hard decisions is really difficult. And uh, you know, part of the, the issue here is, of course, when you're playing what if or looking at alternative histories, you basically got no evidence to say that it would or wouldn't have worked. Um, whereas the decisions that actually do get made, get judged by history. And unfairly or not, I think there's been a lot of criticism over what Stephen Elop chose to do. I think it will be interesting to look back on this in another five years and see where the smartphones have got to and say, you know, that death of Nokia resulted in Microsoft either not making it or making it as the third player in uh, smartphones and more generally in ecosystems. And I fundamentally believe that mobile is so important that um, for Microsoft, this is a not quite a do or die play, but it's certainly going to fundamentally alter its position in, in the technology space, whether this works or not. You know, does it become just an enterprise service company, kind of another IBM, or does it get to play with Apple and Google in that consumer space? And so the, the story is continuing, and really we can't make full judgments until a bit further down the line. I did make a few judgments in my my article. <laughs> uh, just to say that you, that you mentioned there are things like Symbian and Mega, and what would have happened if Nokia had carried on with those? What would have happened if Nokia had adopted Android? And I do cover all of these in the article, so I do encourage people to go and read it. I'll just finish with one another sentence from that Trojan horse paragraph from my article. Um, Elop himself would always have had in the back of his mind the knowledge that exciting things were happening back at Redmond, because he would have known that being on the inside, as it were, back at uh, in Microsoft. And if he didn't think Nokia's OSs were cutting it, then he might be able to engineer a change. So this was kind of in the back of his mind. I don't believe he was an explicit Trojan horse, but I, it had to be there. All these things were running around in his mind. And as you say, after three or four months of, of looking at the, exactly what was happening, looking at the health of Nokia at every level, he thought, okay, I need to make a step. I need to make a change. And I also cover in the article, you know, should should the the announcements of Symbian's demise and the, the strategy change be being tackled in quite the way it did? And I think, uh, I think I've been fairly forthright and there have been lots and lots of comments. So again, not only read the article and Listener, do please go and read the comments because there's some good stuff in there as well. Um, pages and pages of the black 
things. Um, we are running out of time and also running out of bandwidth. Thank you very much for listening. Um, any suggestions on what you want Rafe and I to, to natter on about for hours uh, in the next podcast, uh, do please send them in by email or by Twitter or on comments on the site or on this story. Um, goodbye from me and from you, Rafe. Yes, goodbye from me as well. Thanks as ever for Steve for doing the hosting job and all the content this week. We'll be back uh, in about a week's time with hopefully some questions and some topics to talk about from listeners. But if not, if not I'm sure there'll be more news and views for us to chat through.